Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, Salty Winches. I'm your host, Ryan Chuck Miller, and you're listening to The Salt, where we take an objective look at politics today and shit on everything. Remember not just to take your news with a grain of salt, but to take it with the salt. Today's topic is Iran. So much fucking Iran. And I got to say, this was such an awesome topic to research. The episode this week is late. I know it's because I've been up here in the mountains and it's been, it's, it's been like a big, huge, fat, giant endeavor to uh, find internet or phone service up here at all. So it was like really hard. But we're here. Special shout out to Research Richard for doing some badass research this week and Cruise Control as always for providing us with our intro music here at the uh, the top of the show. Don't forget to rate and subscribe. We love that shit. Also email us at uh, info.thesaltpodcast@gmail.com at gmail.com with any comments or questions and don't forget to follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at the salt underscore podcast. Uh, first things first, let's have a word from today's sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by General Soleimani Salami. Do you get hangry when you're planning proxy wars in neighboring countries? Well, friend, you're not you when you're hungry, which is a catchphrase that General Soleimani Salami came up with. It definitely was not the American capitalist infidel pigs at Snickers. Anyways, General Soleimani Salami is the perfect snack to keep you going anytime you've got a hankering to defeat the West using your proxies in other countries. So get yours today at www. Dude, I think that Hellfire Missile is headed straight for the car. Dot, get the fuck out of here. Dot com. Of course, that's not our sponsor. Uh, I don't even think Solomani made salami, but I get the feeling that he would have been fucking really good at it, or at least, you know, had like a kick-ass company name. So, for real this time, here's the, here's the order of March. Uh, we've got a pretty good amount of info to cover today because, you know, I was no expert on Iran. I'm assuming that, you know, most of y'all aren't either. Uh, we're going to talk about the history of relations and tensions between Iran and the U.S. like up until recent years. Uh, then we're going to talk about the governmental structure of Iran to understand where General Qasem Soleimani uh, fell into that structure. Then we'll talk about who he was and kind of what he's done. Um, after that, we'll go into the like the most recent sources of tension and the events that led up to Soleimani's custom drone strike and, and then a little on that itself. Finally, we'll get into what the news has to say about it and why it's under, like important to understand the differing points of view on this topic to form our own educated opinions about it. And of course, we're going to take a big old shit right on the mainstream media's chest. Uh, it's a lot, I know, but understanding everything we're going to talk about here is, is going to help us understand what they're talking about on the news and get the bigger picture of the situation outside of just the individual events. So let's get a little smarter today. Let's get balls deep. We all know that the U.S. and Iran kind of seem to like have never have gotten along, or at least in my lifetime, I think there was like a brief stint where we got along, and I don't even remember because I was too busy saying dumb shit that eight-year-olds say and like eating worms and stuff to pay attention to international relations. Uh, and from what my living memory is, it seems like the big source of tension between the two countries is because of nuclear weapons. Uh, I didn't know this before the research for today's episode, but the U.S. actually gave Iran the technology to get them started developing nuclear weapons way back in the day. Uh, more on that here in a little bit. Here's our timeline for relations between the two countries. In 1953, the U.S. and I'm sorry, the United States and Britain intelligence agencies team up to orchestrate a coup against democratically elected Prime Minister Mossadegh who was a secular leader. Um, Mossadegh wanted to nationalize the Iranian oil industry. Um, the U.S. installs, like, Shah, or King, uh, Mohammad Reza Pahlavi. Uh, in 1979 is the Iranian Revolution, also, I think, known as the Islamic Revolution. The U.S.-backed Shah Pahlavi is forced to leave the country following the months of 
demonstrations and strikes against his rule by secular and religious opponents. Uh, two weeks later, the Islamic Republic of Iran of Iran is proclaimed. 1979 till 81, uh, that's the U.S. embassy hostage crisis. Um, Tehran is seized by protesters in November of 79, and American hostages are held inside for 444 days. Um, 52 hostages were released in January of 1981, actually the day of President Ronald Reagan's inauguration. That's right, brother. You'd better free our people before Sheriff Reagan comes to town, brother. Woo! Reagan mania, brother. And a cool story about this. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay, cool story about this real quick. Uh, my dad stuck up for some Pakistani guys who were being discriminated against in the cafeteria of Texas Tech uh, during this whole crisis. Um, I guess the guys who were being assholes to these Pakistani guys just assumed that they were Iranian or like pro-Iran or something. And my dad got involved and shut that shit down. So, you know, go dad. Okay, back to the timeline. Um, 1985 to 86 is the Iran-Contra scandal. Scandal. The U.S. secretly ships weapons to Iran, allegedly in exchange for Tehran's uh, help in freeing U.S. hostages held by Hezbollah in Lebanon. Um, The profits are illegally channeled to Nicaragua, creating a political crisis. Scandal. Uh, In 1988, American warships, uh, warship USS Vincennes, I wish I would have wrote down pronunciation for that, Vincennes, I think, uh, shoots down an Iranian air flight on uh, July 3rd. Um, killing all nine, 920, 290 people on board. Um, the U.S. claims the plane was mistaken for a fighter jet. Um, in 2001, in the aftermath of 9-11, uh, Soleimani, uh, remember the salami guy, uh, saw an opportunity to defeat the Taliban by cooperating with the U.S. early in the war. Um, he directed Iranian diplomats to share intelligence with you know, the U.S. military on Taliban, and uh, that was an exchange for the U.S. intelligence on al-Qaeda operatives in Iran. Um, Soleimani was reportedly very pleased with the new relationship. Um, in 2002, it was the infamous axis of evil speech. Um, in a State of the Union, Union address, President George W. Bush announces Iran as part of an axis of evil uh, with Iraq and North Korea and Germany. Um, apparently, George W. was unaware that Germany was actually you know, our allies for like 50 years prior to this and still thought it was ran by Hitler and Nazis. And of course, that's nonsense about Germany, but uh, North Korea and Iraq parts, those are both true. Uh, The speech causes outrage in Iran, pretty understandably, and any cooperation on Iraq came to an abrupt halt, also pretty understandably. Um, In the 2000s, there's lots and lots of nuclear fears and sanctions. Uh, In 2002, an Iranian opposition group reveals that Iran is developing nuclear facilities, uh, including a uranium enrichment plant. The U.S. accuses Iran of a clandestine uh, nuclear weapons program. Several rounds of sanctions are applied by the U.S., EU, and U.N., and this causes Iran's currency to drop two-thirds in value in the following two years. Um, A lot of this tension seems to revolve around nuclear weapons. So where did Iran get the technology to try and develop these weapons? The U.S., as promised. Let's take a look at that. I (laughs) I find this actually truly fascinating because I just had no idea about it until today. Uh, way back in the day, we had a president named Dwight D. Eisenhower, or Ike. Heard of him. Side note, 
Uh, he came from Abilene, Kansas, and I went to his presidential museum and library uh, when I lived about 45 minutes away at Fort Riley. Um, and it was bad freaking ass uh, because I am a fucking history nerd like that. Uh, anyways, he introduced a Cold War strategy called Atoms for Peace, where basically we would give nuclear technology to other countries for peaceful purposes, like creating energy, uh, to basically buy peace with those countries. Now, it's important to note that back then, nuclear tech was new and exciting, and having it, you know, it gave a country a pretty awesome status. It'd, it'd be like if you saw your neighbor driving a, like a fucking rocket-propelled Tesla to work every day, and, you know, the country with the nuclear tech is the neighbor with the rocket Tesla. Ike, Ike believed that, uh, this strategy would also buy the U.S. a good amount of influence over those countries, and he was right. Kind of. Iran was one of those countries that got the tech, and the U.S. wanted Iran as a close ally because it bordered the Soviet Union. So, back to that coup in 1953, the U.S. stages it, puts their desired government in, uh, we give them nuclear technology, uh, they let us build a base to monitor the USSR, or the Soviet Union. Um, this program with Iran lasted from 1957 until 1979, so it wasn't like it just happened in a flash and then it was gone. It was around for a long time. Uh, in 1979, back to the Islamic Revolution, the U.S.-backed government is overthrown. A bunch of guys we don't like are put in place, and tensions between the U.S. and Iran begin. And from what I understand, they've had the same governmental structure, or at least a similar one since then. So let's take a look at that so we can understand where General Salami fits into that structure. Uh, then we'll get, you know, into the current stuff. At the very top of the power structure, there is a supreme ru ruler, uh, Ayatollah Ali Khamenei, whose name is ridiculously hard to pronounce and who is also pretty much like in charge of everything. So like a dictator or like a king. Uh, then the president, who is in theory the second most powerful person in Iran, uh, Hassan Rouhani, and who also has a fucking stupid, ridiculous name to pronounce. Um, after him, there is parliament, which consists of 290 members elected every four years that pass legislation, ratify international treaties, and approve the country's budget. Uh, next is the Assembly of Experts, which consists of 86 virtuous and learned individuals that meet for one week a year. Uh, they elect the supreme leader from their ranks. Um, they've basically like they they're basically like the Vatican's College of Cardinals. Um, next is the Council of Guardians, which is 12 jurists whose job is to interpret the law and the Constitution. Um, after that is the Expediency Council, which serves as an advisory body for the supreme leader. Next is the judiciary, sort of like our judicial branch, but it's largely largely controlled by the supreme leader. So, you know, not ideal. Uh, next is the Department of Plastic and Rubber, whose job is to manage and promote Iran's uh, plastic and rubber industry, um, mainly making water balloons and sex toys. And finally, national security and intelligence. Oh, and just kidding about the Department of Plastic and Rubber, just in case you didn't pick up on that. Uh, back to the national security and intel. Um, Iran is the only country whose executive branch doesn't control the armed forces. Uh, within this department, you've got the Supreme National Security Council. Um, Iran's constitution, you know, charges this body with preserving the Islamic Revolution, territorial integrity, and national sovereignty. Um, its members include the president, the speaker of parliament, the head of the judiciary, the chief of the combined general staff of the armed forces, the ministers of foreign affairs, the interior and intelligence, and the commanders of, you know, the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps and regular military, among others. Um, then there's the regular army, 
Um, according to Iran's constitution, the regular army of the Islamic Republic is responsible for guarding the independence and territorial integrity of the country and maintaining order. Um, the army is under control of the supreme leader and must be committed to Islamic ideology. Uh, finally, and this is where General Soleimani comes from, uh, is the Islam... <laughs> uh, uh, it's the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, or IRGC, which is responsible for protecting the revolution and its achievements. There is an ever-present rivalry between the regular army and the IRGC since the founding of the Islamic Republic, um, but recent estimates put the Guard Corps at around 120,000 strong. That's like a standing army. Um, it's widely assumed that the IRGC is one of the most powerful supporters of the uh, the Palestinian militant groups in the West Bank, including the Palestine Islamic Jihad and uh, you know Hamas movements. So. Pretty much a lot of the groups we've been fighting or that our allies have been fighting for like a long time. Uh, now, it was said earlier that the president is the second most powerful person in Iran in theory. Uh, that's only in theory. Um, a constitution doesn't account for the level of influence a person can have over someone else with, you know, with a personal relationship and implied powers. So. Soleimani's position was a pretty it was pretty similar to the, you know, the the joint chief of staff in U.S. politics. So, you know, that's nothing to sneeze at at all. That's a really top position. And that pretty much makes him the second most powerful person in Iran when you consider his personal influence as well as his, you know, his official position. Um, U.S. Intel tells us that although Soleimani isn't that person on paper, like the second most powerful person. Um, he definitely was that person in reality. Um, he performed time and time again for the Supreme Leader. This guy was a major major general in the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps and, you know, commander of the Quds Force. Um, the, Quds, the Quds Force is a division responsible for extra, extraterritorial military clandestine operations. Holy fuck, that is a hell of a sentence. Uh, which... And, you know, that sounds pretty cool. But his operations in Iraq have killed more than 600 American personnel in Iraq alone since 2003 and stretch Iranian influence to Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, and Yemen. So not awesome. Uh, he was the mastermind behind Iran's network of proxies all over the Middle East, killing untold numbers of people. Uh, he was in charge of arming, advising, and financing Shia mil militants and militias across the Middle East, which, you know, those happen to be the bad guys most of the time. And, of, of course, not all Shia people are bad guys. That's just, like, where, you know, most of the bad guys that we've been fighting for a long time come from. So just, just to be clear on that. So yeah, General Qasem Soleimani was a pretty bad dude. If you're someone from the West who doesn't want to live with Sharia law and Kings and shit, but you know, what were the more recent events that led to more tension between us and Iran? Let's find out in July, 2015, Iran and world powers reached a deal on Iran's nuclear program called the joint comprehensive plan of action or JCPA. And what does that agreement say? You might ask, well, I've got the answer right here. Uh, basically, Iran agreed to reduce the amount of enriched uranium they could produce uh, to only enough main to maintain their energy needs, but like nothing more. Um, they also agreed to giving inspectors from the International Atomic Energy Agency, uh, which is like the world's nuclear watchdogs, um, access to their nuclear facilities. They found repeatedly that Iran had stuck with the standards outlined in the agreement. Um, in 2016, the nuclear-related international sanctions against Iran were lifted as a result of their compliance with the agreement. Uh, the problem with the agreement itself is that, you know, 
there are sunset clauses in the deal, which are parts of the agreement that will ultimately expire. So like the restrictions on Iran's centrifuges, centrifuges? I don't know that fucking word. I don't know. It's, it's part of a nuclear thing. Um, those go away in 2025 and limitations on uranium enrichment go away in 2030. Uh, in other words, the deal was like a temporary fix to a long-term problem and all Iran would have to do to, you know, to eventually build nuclear weapons is play by the rules for a few years and then they're good to do whatever they want. And, you know, I get the, the, the intent that President Obama had. I'm, I'm sure he was expecting, you know, some future president to work out a new and better deal and kind of iron that out in the future. But, you know, there's no guarantee that that'll happen. So in May 2018, um, President Trump pulls out, pulls the U.S. out of the JCPA. Um, in August 2018, the U.S. reimposes sanctions against Iran, hitting oil exports and trade. Uh, Trump threatens sanctions against other county, or counties, countries doing business with Iran, and this sends Iran into a deep recession. Uh, in the summer of 2019, explosions hit six oil tankers in the Gulf of Oman, and the U.S. accuses Iran. On June 20th, Iran shoots down a U.S. drone over the Strait of Hormuz. Iran begins rolling back commitments made under the nuclear deal. In July 2019, Iran confirms it has surpassed, you know, agreed upon caps on stockpiles of enriched uranium and exceeded allowable levels of purity, which, to be fair, I think they're allowed to do since the U.S. left the agreement, but it's still kind of a big deal. Um, December 2019, a U.S. defense contractor is killed in Iraq. The U.S. blames an Iranian-backed militia for the rocket attack. After this, the U.S. kills 25 Iranian-backed militia members. On December 31st, 2019, Iran-backed militiamen stormed the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad and pretty much destroy it. And finally, the event that sparked all of this controversy and countless news headlines. January 2nd, 2020, a drone attack ordered by President Trump kills Iran's most powerful general, Qasem Soleimani, in a car full of him and several henchmen. Iran vows a quick and brutal revenge after a three-day mourning period. Wow. Lots to unpack here. Uh, so now that we're all experts on Iran, it's time for me to make everyone mad because, well, for <laughs> for some like reason, every goddamn thing that happens in this country right now is highly politicized. Um, Republicans are doing what Republicans have done for three years, and they're just rallying rallying behind you know anything that Trump does. And Democrats, well, they're doing what Democrats suffering from Trump derangement syndrome do, and just trying to find problems with the drone strike and calling its legality into question. Um, basically, Democrats are saying that the White House didn't properly notify Congress about the strike, and they had to you know since this is you know this could be considered an act of war. Um, CNN and MSNBC have called a lot of uh, experts in to validate that and they all have the same shit to say uh, but the problem with that is that a formal notification was sent to congress and for whatever reason they didn't do anything about it so fuck them in other words like it it seems like no one had a problem with the u.s killing you know general salami until they heard trump did it and now all of a sudden it's illegal and wrong uh like they did all that work to impeach him and he can still order a drone strike because well fuck them at least that's my opinion. It, it's actually pretty comical for me to sit back and like watch because it's the same fucking stupid movie over and over. People know like Trump. Trump bad. Trump do something. Trump have outcry. People have outcry. People say it illegal. Trump do something else. People move on to next thing Trump do. And on and on and on and blah 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 blah. But what I see from like diehard Trump supporters is the same ass thing, just a different narrative. Trump do something. People 
like what Trump do. People rejoice. Trump do something else. People rejoice even more. And that over and over and over. Like, fuck, I think we can all agree that this dude was a bad guy. Can't we just get on board with him being gone without worrying about who made the call to do it? But wait, we're getting some breaking news from our local news station here at the Saltyverse, NBCN, that is, News Before Clues Network. Thanks, Ryan. Today I'm here in Washington listening to Representative Jerry Nadler, who has an interesting statement. Here's what he had to say. It has come to our attention that the supreme leader of Iran has been colluding with Iraq to solicit interference in Iran's next supreme leader election and keep office. We are hereby moving to impeach the supreme leader of Iran and then hold the articles of impeachment from moving any further. Thank you, and shalom, my people. Truly a riveting statement. Back to you, Ryan. This is Richard Strokes, signing off. Dick Strokes, everybody. The best newscaster out there in the Saltyverse. That reminds me. Let's do some updates from uh, past episodes. Uh, North Korea still hasn't given us our fucking present, so I guess we just won't need to send a thank you note on time either. And the articles of impeachment are still being held in the House from moving on to the Senate, and it's a whole ass debacle in Washington uh, about that. God, we live in divisive times. That's why we're here today to try and fix that. The you know the divisiveness of literally every single issue that happens today. Uh, we can be Republicans and we can be Democrats, but what we don't need to do is think of it as a like an us versus them mentality. Like with everything that we do, um, man, cut loose, relax, laugh about it every now and then. Trump isn't the reincarnation of Hitler, and he's also not the best leader in world history. Just the fact that a you know a a bad guy getting got situation turned into a Trump broke the law again scenario is evidence of that divisiveness. And instead of Democrats and Republicans hopping on the bad bandwagons to either attack or defend the guy, we should probably look at the bigger picture, which is that Putin and Xi Jinping both fucked a dog one time and you can look at the pictures online. Seriously, it's hilarious. But wait, no, that's that's not what's important. I'm fairly certain that did happen, but that's not what we're talking about today. That probably deserves its own episode. No, what's important here is that we need to look at the bigger picture and that an American embassy fell under attack, Americans were killed, and this is the asshat who was behind it. So fuck him, right? I sure think so. And that's it! Thanks for listening today, Salty Winches. It's been a fun-ass episode to do. I learned a lot. I hope you did, too. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe, and also shoot us an email at uh, info.thesaltpodcast at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter, which is at the salt underscore podcast. Keep an eye out for our forum, uh, The Order of the Salt, which I promise is coming soon, uh, where we can talk about past and present topics and that time your sister sent me news from your mom's phone. Also, keep an eye out for my book, Putin is a Dickhead, coming to a Kindle app near you. Thanks again for listening, Salty Winches. Talk to you next week. Item out this bitch! Back to you, Salty Winches. This is your host, Ryan Chuck Miller, signing off.